Uh, so I'll pray, and then we'll get started into our, our, in our sermon. Dear Lord, uh, we just thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for what it means. Thank you for worship, God. I just thank you for that band. They, I, I know them pretty well, and they, 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 they're not doing it for the thanks and all that stuff, but uh, I needed it, and I know probably somebody else will needed it, and, and it's, it's good to give us the right perspective on why we're here. Gosh, you know, just, uh, we do this every week, and it's just always a good reminder, God. Um, just pray for this time. I just pray that we can all learn about you and your love for us, Father. Amen. Um, so if you've ever gone to see a movie, right, uh, you, you don't miss the best part, the trailers and all that stuff. Don't miss that, right? Right before each trailer, there's a little warning, right, about how spicy it is. You understand what I'm saying? And there's a red spicy and there's like a green spicy. And the green's like not too spicy. So what it says is like, hey, here's a product warning. I want to give us a little product warning for today's sermon, right? And I want to explain something to you all that, that I've talked about before, but I think it's super important, and, and it, kind of, um, it kind of lays the groundwork for, for a lot of churches these days, right? There are two different types of sermons. There's exegetical, and there's topical. I don't like those sayings. I use them all the time, and it's the correct way to say it, and you should definitely use those. I don't like those. Uh, because if you're part of an exegetical church like us, we kind of uh, we kind of air that hey, we're better because we read the Bible and we go it week by week and we chapter by chapter and all that stuff. Uh, what the the, the, ter- the terms that I would rather use that I definitely don't use, but I would rather use them is textual context and topical context. Right? We lie on the the realm of textual context, which means, hey, last week we did chapter one. This week, spoiler alert, we're going to do chapter two. Next week, we're doing chapter three. Now, every once in a while, we might take a break and say, hey, we're going to talk about mothers, and we might talk about Christmas. And And even though that sounds topical, we do it textually. So we say, what does Paul say about mothers in, in this chapter? And what does Christmas look like in Luke and what is, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Makes sense? That's what we do. It's very common. Uh, it's what I enjoy preaching. It's what Scott enjoys preaching, right? I think it's, it's easy in a lot of ways and it gives us context from chapter by chapter, right? The other side of the equation is by far the most uh, successful, if I'm being honest, the most majority of churches are preaching like this. They do topical contextual. So they look at, hey, in the month of January, we're going to look at suffering. And, and we're going to go through that. And then in the month of, uh, uh, of February, we're going to look at love. And then we're going to do a quarter in grace and all that kind of stuff. And they jump around the Bible. It's a lot, a lot of work. It's a ton of work that goes into that. I personally don't enjoy listening to it because I'm a little too ADD, so I jump around too much anyway, right? But here's the good thing about way of doing that. They give a good context on biblical ideas. So they say, hey, how does God view hell? And they break down every view of how God views hell. The problem with what we are doing is we don't do that all the time. We say, well, how does God view hell in 1 Samuel 2? But that's not talking about John 3.16. That's not talking about 1 Corinthians. That's not talking about Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus, right? So we miss that. 
So if you're here today for the first time, I'm going to say some stuff that might seem a little spicy. If you've been in church for a long time, I'm going to say a little stuff that may seem a little spicy. Realize that this is one view. There's a whole Bible backing it. He's talking to people. Yeah, he's talking to people here who very well know who God is. So if you're one of those people, and that's fine, who don't very well who know God is, uh, this might scare you a little bit. And you might get a view of God that is certainly correct, but it may not be complete. Makes sense. That's our very long warning, and I promise I won't do it again until the next time I preach. Okay, so let's get into it. We're talking about 1 Samuel 2 here. Uh, I have to apologize. I have a uh, love-hate relationship with technology. I love it. It hates me. What do I do? Incorporate more technology. So if stuff doesn't work, it's entirely my fault. I'm trying to be hip and cool and then all that stuff, but it's not going to work out, I promise you. So uh, if you have your Bibles open up to 1 Samuel 2, uh, you could certainly look it up on the screen as per usual. Uh, if, if you had a little struggle remembering names last week, it's fine. Don't be worried. Don't be scared. Uh, we're going to go a little slower today. And realize you can, uh, a little cheat sheet, you can go back and read it again, right? right? Uh, there's, there's three big names in this, and we'll learn them. First one right off the bat. It says, and Hannah prayed and said, remember who Hannah is? She had a kid. Do you remember this? Yeah? Couldn't have a kid, had a kid. Remember this? Gave it to the Lord, right? So, okay, so Hannah prayed and said, so this is right after. She had the kid, gave it to the Lord, brought, dropped the kid off at daycare forever, right? And said, Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Folks, um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. If I was given a child, if I wasn't, uh, you know, for whatever reason, if I wasn't able to birth the child, right? Like, and, and, then, and then I was able to birth the child and I had this child and, and I gave it to God, I don't know if I would have this perspective. If I made a promise and I said, God, if you give me a child, I, I promise I will give it back to you. I will give him to you and he will be a pastor, a priest. I'll lay him down and, I'll, and he'll be dedicated to you. And that happens. And even though I promised it, I'm not having this attitude. I'm not having this attitude of, wow, how great God is and how terrible my enemies are and everything's great. How am I feeling? Sad. I lost a kid. I, I couldn't have this child and now it's gone. What? Why? So easily forgettable. So easily do we forget the things that we promise to God that we say to the Lord. And then the next week, hey, uh, you know, it's okay. It's no big deal. If only there was a time of the year where we make these grand promises. And then by February, those promises, do we understand? Right? I'm sitting there a couple weeks ago. I'm thinking about this and I'm like, man. Those New Year resolutions sure did die quickly, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about Hannah and how great she is about these promises. And not only is she saying, wow, I upkeep my promises and how great I am. She's saying, wow, look how great God is, right? It's all about perspective. Uh, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Who needs a rock? A mother that just, you know, gave up her child that she's never going to see again? She need a rock? <laughs> yeah, 
This is talking from experience, folks, right? The, the one mourning, weeping to be given a child is given one, and then she willingly gives it to the Lord, right? There is no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Who saves you? Is it you? Did you, you prayed the prayer? You went to church. You did everything, right? Right. Uh, uh, for uh, 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 the the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Who conquers? Is it the warriors with the great bows and the great axes and the great swords? Who wins? Who has victory? Not only in war, but in your life. God. Remember, Scott told us last week, every answer is God, right? It's either God or both, right? right? Uh, verse 5, those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. Who's barren? Remember? Hannah has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Um, the nifty little uh, fun fact, right? So Hannah, right? The baron is born seven. How do you think, how many kids do you think Hannah has? Wrong, six, right? <laughs> or why seven then? It's this idea of completion. Someone who's empty, someone who can't do it, someone, again, who is, is weak, according to this who is hungry, who can't do it, is now complete, right? So it's not talking about number of kids. It's not talking about this grand prophecy. Oh, look what happened, right? It's the idea that even when she had one child, she's complete, right? And, and, and verse 6 kind of gives us this idea that I've been talking about, this, the, the big warning, the big danger, spiciness, right? The Lord kills and the Lord brings back to life. Uh, he brings down to Sheol, God's sending people to hell, and that's all you know about them? It's kind of scary, right? And raises up completeness. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that Scott kind of asked last week. Is your God passive or active? Someone said it. <laughs> right? Passive or active? Active. He's passive. He's active. He's everything, right? But active. In this, I want you to point out things. Uh, I'm going to say these things. Think about it. Is he passive or is he active? The Lord makes poor and makes rich. What's passive about that? I thought I had to get a job. And I thought I had to be lazy and I didn't get a job. And I thought, it sounds like... Well, it sounds like God's in control even when I mess up and even when I have great success. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. It's not about pulling yourself by your bootstraps. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about the American dream, if I'm being honest. It's simply saying, hey, how are you? Where you are? How successful are you? Why are you in the life situation you are in? What about your problems? What about your weaknesses? It's God. It's a very important question. 
Now, what is that saying about God? Our views of God directly connects to how we view that statement. God gave me sickness. God gave me a, a loss of job. God, if we view God as a big jerk in the sky, yeah, you're going to view it one way. If you believe that, hey, maybe we should write a song about God being a good, good father, and we truly, honestly believe that, yeah, I'm sick, but he's got a better plan. Yeah, I lost my job, but it's all part of his plan. Yeah, uh, I had to give up my child to the Lord, but... I know that God is good and there's a reason, right? And there, it, it certainly goes beyond anything we can understand and, and appreciate even, but that God has to have a reason, right? Uh, oh, gosh. Ashley, where am I? I found it. Joke's on you. Uh, For the pillars of the earth and the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones by the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. How are we successful? Is it by might? Is it by strength? Absolutely not, right? You want to see goodness in the world, it's that non-believers are successful. I said it. God is good to everybody. <laughs> God gives blessings to everybody. Right, And we might look at that and say, injustice, God says, no, loving father, right? The, uh, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them, he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge, and end, uh, judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What a great statement. Right, and we miss it. We don't really understand what's going on. Uh, bringing up the idea of kingship in Israel here, God was king over Israel forever. And guess what Israel did? They looked around and they said, "Yeah, it's pretty cool, but but they got a king, an actual king, and, and they got a king, a real king, not like God. God's not a real king, you know. And that, they, that kingdom over there has a king. We don't have a king. What's wrong with that?" God's saying, you want a king? Hey, I'm still appointing that king. So it doesn't matter. But if you really want one, I'm going to give it to you eventually, right? Uh, uh, verse 11, then Elkanah, right? Remember the guy from the last chapter? He's, the, he's another good, uh, uh, another main focus in the chapter. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Why? They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was, was, in the, uh, was boiling with three-pronged forks in hand, and he would thrust it in the pot or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork uh, brought up the priest would take for himself. Uh, interesting little word here. Verse 13 starts it off. The custom, the law given by God in Leviticus when they're talking about sacrifices. Why, why, why that word? 
maybe it's different. Maybe they're looking at it and saying, nah, we like the law, the way that God told us to do it. That's pretty cool. But like, I kind of like the whole boiling pot and I get a lot of meat and we don't have to burn sacrifices. You know, we could just boil it, right? This is the custom, right? So let's keep going. And he would thrust out verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, fat being the good part, right? Before giving up to God, before the actual sacrifice, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. Does this sound like, for our Leviticus pros out there, does this sound like something that was said by God? Don't, you don't need to sacrifice. Don't actually give it to, give it to the priest. There's an order. There's a very specific order. Burn it up to God and then give it to the priest. But I don't want burned meat. I want nice raw meat. I could cook it, right? Uh, uh, And if the man said to him, here's another good statement, right? Oh, red flags everywhere, right? Let them burn the, uh, I don't know. Uh, The men said to them, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. That's a little wonky. I don't know. uh, Let me pull down the blind a little bit of how church works, right? We all give money to the church. Uh, The church writes a check for me and all the other staff, right? Uh, What if I came up to you one day and I was like, hey, let's just cut out the middleman. Just write a check right to me and it'll be all right. Does that sound a little weird to you? I'm sitting there. I'm like, listen, buddy, you better write that. I'm going to force you to do it. That's a little weird. No, I'm just, no. That's what is going on here. What is eventually the priest, he has no right to say how it's done, how it's being given, right? This is all to God, right? Um, Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Offering of the Lord with contempt, something that is pure and beautiful. The tithe that they're giving, it's the sacrifices, whatever it may be, something that's gorgeous, something that's beautiful, with contempt, not because it wasn't given, but because of how it was given. It was taken forcefully, right? Uh, Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a lemon ephod, and if you don't know that, it's basically like, it's pretty much rags. Like, it's, it's, it's not great stuff. Uh, verse 19, And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to make the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Akana and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked for the Lord. So then they returned to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore, uh, bore three sons and two daughters. So if you do the math, that's six, right? And, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing, more drama from Eli, hearing all that his sons were doing in, to all Israel, and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting, uh, yeah, and uh, yep, that's what you're thinking they're doing. Yeah, uh, something 
that there, it, it, it sounds ridiculous today, very normal back then. You go to almost any worship place, and that's what's going on, the prostitution, and that's worship, right? Uh, not so in the temple, not, not so in the tabernacle, not so in the church, right? But they're looking around, these people, once again, looking at customs and saying, hey, everyone else is doing it. Why can't we do it? Maybe they have a different God. Maybe yours is the only one that matters. Maybe there's some, some lines and some things that you shouldn't do that's very expressly stated by God, right? And, and, and uh, tents of meetings. And he said to them, Who do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. If you sin against me, if I sin against you, we could talk about it, we could pray about it, right? God, hey, even though we might have a big rift, God is overseeing both of us, right? <laughs> uh, mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Exactly. That's the funny part about this, right? This is the first testament, the Old Testament. It's this idea that who's going to intercede for you when you messed up with God? God, right? They don't know it yet, but they're sitting there like, yeah, Jesus. It's awesome. This is a great idea, right? Um, but it's this, this Socratic question that's like, hey, if you mess up with God, it's, it's important. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of of the Lord to put them to death. Dun, dun, dun. Play the, play the thing again, right? It's this idea that it's crazy. We don't understand it. Absolutely. I'm not going to sit up here and pretend like I understand it. I don't. I don't understand why a lot of bad things happens to me, you, other people, your best friend, your kid, all that stuff. I don't get it. I don't have to get it. We don't have to understand this. We simply have to start understanding God. If we look at these statements, we could say, yeah, God takes a lot. But for every taking, there's a giving, right? And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of the Pharaoh? Verse 28. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel, starting to lay the groundwork of, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what God is a God for a reason. He, this, you're not making sacrifices to this God who's not connected, who's not in your life personally. This is a God who saved you out of, uh, out of slavery in Egypt, right? Who gave you very specific ways of doing offerings. Offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Verse 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of the people, Israel? Looking at their offering and said, you know what, the, this best part this, this best part that you're sacrificing for God, I want the best, best part. 
all the fat. I, I don't want you to cook it. I don't want you to burn it. I don't want you to do any of that. I want to get the first grab and I want to look at it. And then after I'm done with it, then you could start giving it to God, right? Uh, sounds a little wonky, right? Verse 30, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. But behold, the, the days are coming when I cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will be not, uh, there will not be an old man in your house. People are going to die and they're going to die early. And it's not because of what I'm doing. It's your fault, right? Um, your house forever. Verse 33, the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart and all the, his descendants of your house shall, be, shall die by the sword of men. He's saying the only person who's not going to die, who's not going to be killed off is one person so that he can mourn. This sounds pretty serious, folks. Jesus loves me, this, right? It's, it's getting a little nervous, right? Verse 34, and this, that, and this that shall come upon your two sons, the two guys who are working as priests, right? Ophni and Phineas, Phineas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. You don't want to take it a big deal? Is it just offerings and not a big deal? Great, get out of the way. If you understand what you're doing, your role, your calling is to follow God, is to be the spiritual example, you better be the spiritual example. It all boils down to this. If you know better, you should act better, <laughs> plain and simple, right? The people, the priests uh, should know better than anyone else who God is and what he can do. And they're just like, eh, whatever. I don't really care, right? Cashing a check, stealing the meat. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and, and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread, looking back and saying, wow, how good I had it when I was in God's favor. Looking back and saying, wow, we could have had everything and we blew it looking at our own lives, and I'm saying we is like we, we, right? Like us actually, right? And saying, wow, I had the world when I was listening to God and I didn't listen anymore. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, amen? amen. Told you, spicy. So I'm sitting there, um, I'm sitting there and, and, and I'm thinking about, uh, so let me step back. So uh, working at church, December's, Pretty, uh, pretty busy. I don't know if you've realized, right? So like, it's kind of crazy. So usually January is kind of my December. Uh, I look at the new year. I look at my past year. I'm, I'm reevaluating all the things, right? 
I'm looking at, Scott told me I'm reading this passage, so I'm, I'm looking at that, and I'm sitting, and, and this is, if you don't know me, this is who I am. I'm sitting, there's snow on the ground, and I'm in a hammock, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm reading my Bible, I'm reading this, I'm thinking about my New Year's resolutions, I'm thinking about all the things I have to do, I'm thinking about, uh, and I'm getting a little specific here, right? I'm looking at my diet, I'm looking at how to eat calorie deficit, I'm looking at walking, I'm looking at all these things, and I'm sitting there, as I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm asking myself, after many hours of asking all my questions of what does my life want to look like in January 2024, I'm asking all myself those questions, right? Good, great questions. And I get to the end of it, and I said, does God care? <laughs> I, I'm thinking about all these things, and I'm, I'm like, oh, these are the foods I can't eat. Like, these are the foods I can't eat. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm asking myself a, a very important question. Does God care? Does God care if I'm sitting around walking every day? Does God care? And very quickly I say, yeah, because God cares and he's infinite. And even though I can't understand how the, the creator, perfecter, uh, motivator is, of the universe cares if I wake up earlier to go on a walk, I sit there and I understand, yeah, he does. And I ask myself a follow-up question. What does that mean for me then? God cares about a lot of things. How should I prioritize my time? How should I prioritize my goals? How should I prioritize my life? Because I look at this, being honest, I could very easily say God's priorities are a little out of whack. He needs to be more forgiving and he needs to be more loving and he needs to understand, yeah, like he's, they stole, but it's okay, right? Like, can't they just pray to Jesus? I'm sitting there and I'm questioning God's priorities. I lose that one, folks. I don't know if you've got to that part, right? So what I've, what I've given us is just a couple of simple uh, reminders, steps about uh, how do we discover God's priorities, Right? How do we got, how do we and this is a very applicable thing to each and every one of us, right? How do we understand God's priorities for our lives? Because yes, he may care, uh, but what is that how does that impact my day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I should get healthy, but how? Why? When? I could get healthy in 20 years, right? Why? So I'm asking myself these steps. Step number one, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, it kind of fits in pretty well. So step number one: accept the role. Accept the role. What is the role? That's the follow-up question every single one of you should be asking. If this is a step-by-step -step guide, and I'm being vague on the first step, uh, you're probably going to not make it to number two. I can't give you that. I can't give you what step number one is, for what role is for your life. Only you can, and if I'm being more specific and more correct, only God can. You... you does he calling you to a first-time relationship? Is that the role? Accept it. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're like, I got to understand God and I don't understand this chapter and this is confusing. Before I get into this relationship with God, I want to take a step back and I want to look at it and accept the role. You cannot, cannot start understanding this before you start understanding God. How do I know? I think I, could, I, I understand God a little bit. This is still confusing. So I know there's an order, right? <laughs> right? Accept the role. If, if, if that's not your role, yeah, maybe it's the next step. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe that was the thing today. You're like, man, I never got baptized. Or I got baptized as a baby, and I never really made a decision, or whatever. I want to just learn something. 
accept the role. Say yes. Don't always, uh, my, my, and I don't want to speak for all of you, my standard answer to anything is no. I have to be proven yes. Do I want to go somewhere or do I want to stay at home? I want to stay at home. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm good. You can do that thing, right? Do, do I want to go talk to that guy about Jesus or do I want to just pay for my bread and get out? No, I don't want to, right? My standard answer is no. In reality, standard answer probably should be more like yes. God's calling me to do this thing? Absolutely. Ah, for sure, let's do it. You want to send me to Mexico? Sure. Send me to India? Sure, yeah. Until I'm proven wrong, until I look at scripture, I start praying about it, and I say, maybe that's not God. Maybe that's me. Uh, there's a joke, um, because you don't understand it, right? Uh, seminary kids, uh, uh, Christian theology kids, undergrad, especially undergrad when you go to a Christian school. Um, a lot of people hear very specifically from God that they should marry specific girls. It happens all the time. It's really weird. And, and in my class, uh, uh, and majority of it was males, right? And we're, a lot of us got messages from God that we should marry women that we weren't dating. And we're like, we didn't even talk to them yet, right? Why? Because, hey, what we want, we impose on God so much of the time, right? But we have to understand when we hear from God, the answer should most likely be yes. So uh, it's why? Well, because 1 Samuel 2, uh, 2 9b, right, says, For not by might shall a man prevail. We have to understand that our role is not God. Jesus take the wheel, he already done took it, right? Like when we, when we look at our lives and we say, wow, look at all the great things I did. Look at all the ways I'm successful or failed or all of those things. We can very easily take credit for it and very easily discredit God for it, right? I said this years ago in my messages on Jonah, right? When we take God out of the beginning, it's very easily to take God out of the end. When he saves us, when he rescues us, hey, guess what? If he never put you there in the first place, you just got washed up by a big fish. If, if God didn't make you uh, get fired from that job and then you got a new job, if that never happened, you just got a new job. You worked hard. You did the right resume. You did all that stuff, right? Very easy. Can you roll? But when you accept the role, it changes things, changes your perspective. So number two, step one, accept your role. Step two, trust the process. Dear Lord, trust the process. So much of the time, I see people, and, and I've done it too, and we ask ourselves all the time, why am I not closer to God? He gave us a book. Maybe we should read it. He gave us a way to pray and talk to him. Maybe we should pray. The process is very easy in the Christian life. Abide. Done. Live in God. Be connected to the vine. Easy. Done. Simple. We don't do it. We say, no, it can't be that easy. I know better. This process is incorrect. The process of being a good Christian is not abiding it's giving more. I, he talked a lot about giving. I'm going to give. I'm not going to write a check to Brent. I'm going to write a check to RBC. I understand it, right? No. The process is abiding. Trust it. 
So that role, whatever you're trying to do, whatever the next step, there's a very specific process given in the Bible of how to baptize. There's a very specific process of communion. There's a very specific that God has given us. Let's not pretend like we know better than God by boiling our meat, by saying, hey, just write a check to Brandon, right? Let's trust the process. It matters how it gets done. It matters how it gets done, and that's something the world is specifically telling our kids constantly that it doesn't. The ends justify the means. That is simply not true. You know, <laughs> it, it's simply not true. So step one, accept the role. Step two, trust the process. Step three, treat your role with respect. What was the main problem among a billion other things with these sons? The huge dichotomy between the sons of Hannah and the sons of Eli? Trust the role. They, they, they didn't treat the role with respect. You are a priest of the Most High God and you're sleeping with prostitutes. You are a priest of the Most High God and you're stealing from the offering. You're a priest of the Most High God. You're, you're preaching constantly about how God is a father, but you're not listening even to your own dad. You know better. I deal with kids constantly and it drives me to insanity because I'm sitting there and I tell them stories about how I was a dumb high schooler and how they're being a dumb high school. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, no, did you not listen to my story? You know better, don't do it. God constantly is telling us that we know better. Constantly teaching us life lessons. Constantly saying, hey, dumb, dumb, listen. I'm trying to save you from so much pain. You're not listening. I want to love you more. I want to care for you more. Every step of the way, it's hurt. The, the, the kids, I don't care if you're a coach, a teacher, a parent, the kids that affect you the most, that you, you mourn the most, the, the kids that... that like just drive you to like insanity sometimes are not the kids that mess up the most. They're the kids that know better. Replace kids with adults who attend a Sunday service. <laughs> drives me insane when I sit there, right there on Monday night, and, and Scott's talking about how we overreact and our, our uh, I, can't, I can't say all the things because what happens in men's whatever, right? But he's sitting there talking about how we overreact and we take things personal and, and what we do is not attached to our identity. And literally two hours later, I overreact and didn't even sleep. I haven't even left the building. I go back there and I overreact. Why? Is it, is it because I messed up? Oh, no, I messed up. No, it's because I know better. Because literally the last lesson that God taught me, I failed instantly. And I'm sitting there as, a, I'm just sitting, I'm sitting there as a pastor and I'm saying, I'm probably the one who messed up first. And of everyone in that room, I probably did it first. Way to lead. 
Treat the role with respect. You know what? One of my favorite parts of the Bible, inerrancy, all those great things, God's word, all those things, all, all wonderful. One of my favorite parts of the Bible is that if it's boring, if I didn't get anything from it, it's my fault, right? You could read the same chapter, same verse even, day after day for a whole year and get something different out of it, right? And I'm sitting there reading this chapter and I'm thinking, what a worthless sentence. And here it is, right? 1 Samuel 2, 18 through 19 says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And here's the most worthless, pathetic, dumb sentence. Why did God put it in here? And his mother sent, sent to make, said to make uh, for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer a yearly sacrifice. Sitting there, I'm like, why is that in the Bible? It's even specified as little. It's a little, pointless, worthless robe. Think about it. God put it in the Bible. Something so minuscule, something so irrelevant as a once in a year thing that she did, and it wasn't even that great. God puts it in the Bible for some reason. Why do I view that as, as unimportant and irrelevant? I'm not treating the role with respect. Her role, her calling was to once a year make a little robe. She was faithful and she did it. And she made it in the Bible because of it. Not because, this is one of the last things we hear about Hannah. What we remember her as, right, is not this, hey, and she was the lady who gave her son to Christ, who said, here it is, I gave my son to the Lord. The last, one of the last things we hear about Hannah is how she made a little robe faithful. That's why I am absolutely terrible at it, but that's why I try every time when I'm sitting there and I think about the worship team, I try to thank them. And when coffee and donuts and I'm running around and all the things and I try to thank them because I am terrible. And I, if I'm being honest, only notice there's coffee and donuts when there isn't coffee and donuts. And I only realize that there's trash on the ground when there's trash on the ground. I don't think about how Katie spends hours and hours every single week cleaning. And I don't think about the yard duty people. And I don't think about how Scott spends all this time. I only think about, hey, Scott, that sermon was kind of okay. You kind of rambled. You went a little long. <laughs> Treat the... No. <laughs> Treat the role with respect. Whatever that first role, whatever that first calling is, treat it with respect. Accept the Lord. Move on with your relationship with him. Get baptized. It is absolutely a big deal. The whole world is saying that, hey, sleep around and take the sacrifices and steal and look out for number one. God's saying, absolutely not. It's important, treat it with respect. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. We just thank you for this opportunity just to continue to worship you in, in the idea of communion, God. And it's, it's so fitting and it makes so much sense during this time where we can easily, 
easily look at communion as just a snack, as just another time just to eat a piece of bread or drink a little bit of grape juice or whatever it is. But you say it matters. And, and you say how we do it matters and when we do it and if we do it matters, God. We just thank you that um, you have given us this, this opportunity to take communion, God. I just pray that we do not take it unjustly, that we don't take it with malintent or we don't take it with contempt like those, those sons, God, that we're stealing from the offering, that we, we seriously sit down and we think about it, Lord. Pray for this time we give it to you, God. Amen. So the band's going to sing one last song. Anytime during the song, um, grab a piece of bread, dunk it in the cup. And if you were here for January 1st, I give you a little challenge. 2023, every time you take communion, it's a big deal. Think about it. Get right with God, right? Spend a second and say, what do I have to confess? What, what problems do I have with God? How do I get more connected with him? Also, take a second, get right with somebody else. We do that with the kids every once in a while, but it's, it's an important. Send a text. Before you take it, send the text, because you're like me. I'm, I'm hoping you're not like me, but like, just say, hey, I messed up the other day, and I'm really sorry. I've had bad emotions, feelings towards you. I stole, I lied, whatever it may be. Get right with God, but also get right with somebody else. So anytime during this last song, just come up as you feel led and just uh, take communion. down because I specifically didn't want to forget it and then I forgot it because I, I wrote it down and I got it out of my head. Um, another example, another person, another people who constantly I specifically forget about until they mess up is the sound team and the worship of the sound team and Nate and, their, and Megan and all that stuff. So I specifically every single Sunday when something goes wrong, I'm like, man, ooh, right? Treat the role with respect. And that goes for you and that goes for other people. You know, don't assume that you don't, that you know what they're going through and don't assume that you know all the stuff that's going on in their life and don't assume that you know what's, everything's going on in your life because we don't. That's one of the greatest things about Christianity, honestly, is yeah, I don't have to make the world spin, but I know who spins it. I don't need to know how life came to be, but I know who did it. I don't need to know a lot of stuff, but I know who done it. And that goes all the way up from crazy astronomical physics, all the stuff that I don't even know how to say, to going on a walk every day and making coffee for somebody and picking up trash or whatever it may be or making a little robe once a year making a, a blanket for children in Mexico twice a year spending a little extra money at the auction once a, you know 
I don't need to understand it. I just need to know who does it. So go accept the role, trust the process, and treat it with specs. See you guys. Mexico training meeting, remember, come next week, all the good stuff. So go with him.